Hey there, it's Jenny Harold. Welcome to this episode of Dreams with Deadlines. Let's jump in. I am so stoked as always because our guest today is the co-founder of the first OKR consulting company in India and Asia. He comes with more than 22 years of experience in business, working with some of the biggest names in the industry like Colgate, Swift, Bosch, uh, Edelweiss, to name a few. Let's welcome to the podcast, Kenneth Lewis, co-founder of OKR National. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Jenny. Um, I'm happy to be here as well. So let's start with the classic, what's your origin story? How'd you come to learn about OKRs? Okay. I think it's a mixed bag of a lot of things that has brought me to where I am and where I'm going to go from here as well. And it started off, of course, being in the field, being a sales guy, always focused on numbers. That's my first job. I, I was also teaching at the same time. So as a kid, I paid myself through college. I funded my own self by giving tuitions to younger kids and earning money. So there was a passion in teaching and I used to do sales on the job on the side as well. So that helped me. I used to sell modems and I used to sell fax machines. Yeah. So back in the day and earn money out of that. So there was always this thing about goals. There was always this thing about teaching. And then when I, after completing my engineering, when I landed my first job, I realized that I'm very good at standing up in front of people and speaking and people listen to me. My first tryst with coaching and training was my first month on my first proper job for a corporate company. I was told you speak well, why don't you train the new guys coming in? And I was just one month old. Okay, so that was a telecom company, which was Orange, which then became Hutch, which then became Vodafone. So spent a long time with them. And then when I started my business, uh, one of the things that always fascinated me was organization development and organization culture. And part of it was things like balance scorecard, performance management, and a whole lot of things. So I graduated, spending 10 years in the corporate field, I graduated to a point where I was now more interested in business and how organizations work. And I quit that and got into consulting and joined hands with a very good friend of mine, Nikhil Maney, who was my manager at that time in my previous organization, but today we're best of friends. And we, we got into consulting and he was already in it. I joined him uh, a few years later. And then we started helping organizations uh, across the globe in, in a lot of organizational development work, culture transformation work. During that time, I realized one of the things that is always in the back of your mind is those who can't do teach. And that got me interested in being and also an investor and an entrepreneur. I say, enough of training, enough of coaching. Now it's time to do something for yourself. In that, one of the one of the CEOs, founders of the company, that's a health tech startup, came up to me and said, Kenneth, have you heard of OKRs? And I think it was 2015, you know, 14, 15, early, very early in those days. I said, not really. It sounds pretty fancy thing. Well, what is it really? And then he said, okay, here is an article on, he sent me a Google link. I read upon it. It's like, ah, this is like MBOs and balance coca, but there seems, it seems to be something fascinating, different about it. And the, what stood out was focus and transparency. And that's when I realized there's something here. He said, then the, 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 the same guy told me, can you do this for my company? The one that you invested in. I said, okay, I'll learn it up. I'll study it and do it. And since 2015, 16, it hasn't been the same. So life has changed post OKRs for us. We formed OKR International. Nikhil and me said, it's time for us to really brand this, set this up. And that's my tryst with OKRs. And there's more to come. There's a whole lot to come <laughs> in this journey. I think that's pretty amazing. You are the first OKR consulting company in India and Asia, kind of a big market. We've heard and learned a lot of OKR principles since its re-education by John Doerr that some of the core ideas, I think, have been muddled. Can we have a refresher on what those principles of OKRs are? Yeah, absolutely. I think ever since Andy Grove and John Doerr have done a fantastic job in evangel setting it up and evangelizing it, I think you're right, you know, along the way, just because businesses are different and companies are different, and consultants are different. We put in our own values and everything in it. It changed course so much so. It's not just muddled, but it's become a very blurry, fuzzy thing. And it's time to come back to the basics. So what are the basics? The basics of OKRs, the first thing, 
it is a way to bring strategy to everybody in an organization. Make strategy crystal clear. It's not just a boardroom thing. It is something that everybody in the organization can live and breathe. So if your organization says that as a business, we are going to set foot in North America and we're going to expand there, then everybody, even if they're not doing work in North America, knows about it and knows that anything that they probably do can link to the expansion plans in North America. Right? So it's that strategy to execution. The second big thing about OKRs is in the process, people set goals, not activities, not just things to do, but they set clear goals, goals that mark and in the form of O's and KRs that tell them exactly what those aspirations are and how do everybody contribute towards those aspirations. So it's about making sure that people know what the goals are. They either know what they can do to contribute towards those goals in the form of their own OKRs, or again, they could probably write their activities or their the to-dos that could probably enable that as well. But at the top, you need those large goals that earmark each part of the strategy. So the second part in this entire thing is, of course, then alignment. So first thing is strategy to execution. The second thing is alignment, making sure everyone's efforts counts towards it. People know that they can contribute towards it. I'm going to speak about flex a bit later because that's a part that's going to come. Because in all of this, there's always going to be a flex. The third part in all of this is transparency. OKRs, as much as possible, need to be visible to people, not just in the way it's being set, but the way it's being tracked and measured. A lot of organizations think that, oh, we set our OKRs once a quarter, we're done. But that's, again, you know, old wine in a new bottle. You've got to make sure that you are setting the OKRs, but you're also tracking them. What's the progress? What's the ticker look like? Where are we heading towards? Are we doing well? Do we need to course correct? So that needs to happen. The transparency and the tracking need to come together to make that to happen. Okay. I think the the third and the fourth thing in all of this is going to be focus. Of course, you can't forget that. It needs to be about a vital few, not uh not that everything is important, but a few things are important. The number is debatable because John Doerr says three to five. Some consultants are even today saying one. I say, again, it depends. Because if you're a large conglomerate here in India, we have a large business called Reliance and they got into OKRs. Now, they are in everything. They're in oils, they're in textiles, they're in chemicals, they're in mobiles, they're in finance. Now, you can't ask them to say set three to five OKRs. <laughs> They're a large organization, right? And, and each firm of them is pretty large by themselves. It's an $80 billion organization. Now, for a company like that, again, you've got to see what does priority mean. Of course, you can't say that it's everything. And I can't even put a number to it. But again, less is more. And you've got to find out what that less really means. So that's another part, which is the entire aspect, which is around focus and making sure that they prioritize. The other piece in this entire thing, which is linked to transparency, but also needs to be called out in the entire aspect, is that it needs to be collaborative. OKRs is a social process. It cannot be done in silos. So that means when you're setting OKRs, when you're tracking OKRs, it's not just, oh, it's all on the system. Go take a look at it. No, there needs to be a conversation that I need to have. Sales needs to have a conversation with marketing and says, hey, you know what? These are the OKRs I'm setting. Do you, are you clear of it? Are you able to help me? Do you have any feedback? Those are the kind of conversations that need to happen, right? And hence, it needs to be a collaborative process. And then while the tracking is going on, marketing goes back to sales and say, hey, you know what is middle of the quarter? This is how I'm, I have supported you so far. How's it working? Are you seeing an increase in demand? Uh, do we need to change something? Do we need to alter our plans for the next quarter? It's those conversations that need to happen. It's constantly collaborative in nature. So yeah, those are the important points that I would like to remind everybody of what OKRs brings in. When people adopt or organizations adopt OKRs, often there are existing management practices in play. One that's top of mind for most people is how things get funded, the investments in various programs and projects in terms of money, people, all of this. How do you actually connect the investment to those outcomes. I think you have an example for us. 
Yes, having worked with uh, the first large FMCG company that got into OKRs many years ago, that was Colgate Palmolive. When the CEO came up to and asked us about uh, asked us to do OKRs, we were quite excited that it would be a great opportunity for us to bring OKRs to a 250-year organization. And and the saying that went around the management circles when they started doing OKRs is that we are an elephant, and OKR International is going to teach us how to dance. Now, I'm going to connect the question that you asked, which is about investment and budget considerations. Now, this is a public company. That means it's listed, right? They are answerable to shareholders before the shareholders, a board that makes decisions on stuff like budgets. It's different from a funded organization like a VC, which lays bets and says, here's $30 million, here's $20 million. We got your pitch. We understand your pitch. Now, show us two or three clear metrics like customer acquisition or your growth plans and your product roadmap and stuff like that. But for a public company like this or in most traditional companies, it works quite different. What happens is there's a budget and the budget that is set commands then work and activity. So it's the other way around. It's not based on aspirations as much as saying, this is your kitty, now work within the kitty that you've got. But here again, now this for an organization to work this out, the CEO and fantastic guy, Ram Raghavan, today he's elevated as a global health of oral care and sits out of New York. But this guy had a clear plan. He said that we'll keep budgets, but the budgets are only going to help us understand what we can do with what we've got. And then we're going to keep OKRs. And OKRs are going to help us understand our true potential. Clear demarcation, right? Budgets helped us create certain plans that we have to meet, like certain margin goals, certain profitability goals, certain product manufacturing goals that we have had. So each one of them are certain things that you need to say, hey, shareholders, this is what you said we can spend. This is what we invested as capital. And this is what we got as returns. So budget. OKRs sat on top of the budget all the time. But OKRs were not something that you promised to the shareholders or the, st- or, the, or the board. It was something more internal. It was where your finance head, your HR head, your technology head, your sales head, your manufacturing head, and the CEO, with all the C-suite came together and said, we know what we've got in terms of a budget. A budget allows us to do certain things. So there are constraints in a budget. But again, there is also flex in a budget because the budget is not only about saving money. A budget is also about what can you do to expand and push yourself forward. So there's money given for that. But when you look at OKRs, usually the budgeted amount is not enough, especially when you have um, an, an aspiration. Say, for example, they want everybody to brush twice a day. Now, when you've got to fund something like that, you've got to fund it socially. That means at the grassroots level, you've got to do it at, you've got to get everybody in the know of what does it mean to brush daily so there's marketing efforts in it there are sales effort there's production effort in it and it requires considerable expenditure now to do something like that they were very clear we're not going to achieve it now these are okrs are going to last for us for a couple of years the budget allowed them a certain amount that could fund pilots that could fund certain activities, certain innovations. And if they started doing well on those innovations, then the next budget, the next quarter budget or the next year budget would increase in that demand. Like the VC example that you gave where they are placing bets internally. Mm. That's what it sounds like. So that they can continue to innovate. They're going to seed fund these ideas. Yep. And then should they prove fruitful and return what they expect, or maybe the things that they didn't expect that are still viable for the business, then they do further investments down the line. So it really was running the business and transforming the business at the same time. Okay. You got it right. You got it absolutely. So running the business is the budgets. Transforming the business is what comes on top of the budgets. And sometimes, and this is where I think I loved what Ram kept on doing to the business. He said, he, in fact, he used the same terms, treat me like a VC, treat me like an investor and come to me with your business case as an OKR, as an OKR. That is such a great reframe. I don't think many C, like C-levels or executives can have talked about it that way. That's a great revelation, I think. So 
If we were to push further, there's not very many techniques out there that outline how to do this, this idea that you've come, come with, where Colgate was saying, we're going to fund the core business, but anything that's transformative, innovative, we're going to start to seed. Can you use things like better budgeting to fit your OKRs? Because I think you believe that budgets shouldn't define OKRs. And that's what the Colgate example seems to suggest. But maybe you can dive deeper into what can we do then, or how should we think about framing how to allocate whatever is necessary to these OKRs? Do you have a framework for this or? Yeah, see, it's a combination of a whole lot of things. Um, I think the first thing is if you go to a classic project management methodology, you will always say that before we begin a project, there will be a business case, right? Uh, I still remember the format. It's called Bob's Car D Saw. B-O-B-S-C-A-R-D-I-S-A. So you've got to fulfill that method. Uh, uh, each one of them starts for something. So B stands, stands for background. O stands for objectives. B st- the other B stands for benefits. So it goes that way right up. And you've got to fulfill that in. And once you fill that in, it is then vetted by people within a business. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing with OKRs is that OKRs, so say, for example, I say that one of the things that we want to do is we want to say a quite a common word today we want to digitally transform our business now that's an objective right and the reason we want to digitally transform our, our business is supported by a business case that says that digital transformation includes stuff like investments in data science investments in digital marketing using social media um, investments in making sure our, our employee processes are more data-centered, our HR cap- capital expenditure is more data-centered. So stuff like that comes in largely within it. And there's a business case that's created. So one of the organizations that I'm working with is one of India's largest selling thermos businesses. So they sell, they sell stuff that keeps the stuff hot or cold, right? And they're one of and not only India's, but now it's soon to be the world's largest also as well in that business. And they're a traditional organization, a very traditional promoter-driven. 90% of the organization belongs to the promoter. Now, in this case, there's clear budgets. Because this is your own money. This is not VC money. This is not shareholder money. This is not public money. This is money out of my pocket. This is the way the promoter looks at it. If I'm going to spend on anything, including spending on me, it's like it's money out of my pocket. So you've got to show me ROI first. What is the ROI? But I want to do OKRs. So that means your OKRs need to have a promise of what's going to be delivered. Right? So that means for this company, there's a budget which is based on a business case. A budget is approved. And then that feeds into an OKR. And I like that methodology. I don't know, one of the consultants put this in, which I employed for this. There is a commit and there's a stretch. The commit goal is the budget goal. The stretch goal is the OKR goal. Ah, I like that. Closer to Ben Lamort's method of stretch, target, and commit. Yeah. And I like that methodology because it fits in then for this organization. It says that what we're going to do is we're going to commit to this goal, which is based on certain budgets, but we're also going to say that we're going to stretch. And for the stretch, we're going to do a few innovations. That innovation is going to be funded by certain extra monies that we're going to demand from the budget. Okay. And the idea being when you do the commit, it's just like you would expect from the word, that you have pretty high confidence that you're going to hit that number versus the stretch which is being funded elsewhere, but you're, you don't have as strong a confidence that you're going to achieve whatever that outcome might be. And so it allows the team to have some level of confidence and be really good about their measurement and their confidence level kind of calibration to be able to actually put their number against an owner for that allocated budget. Because like you're saying, this is real money. We're not this is how the business needs to continue to exist because, as we know, stasis is death for businesses. So let's discuss then the outcome goals, right? There seems to be these purists and pragmatists out there where the purists believe OKR should be outcome-focused only. Pragmatists say, it's you do what you need to do. It's okay. What's your take? Because you're working with these traditional 
industries, they have a way of working. I feel like the purist take might be a little too much for them. But what are your thoughts in having done this? I don't know how many times at this point. So it's a quote that I usually tell my team members who join me that if you live by this quote, you'll do well. And the quote goes something like this. It says, first, know all the rules and then break them. Okay. And I started off OKRs just like that. I said, let's create rules. Okay. Not more than three to five. All the goals need to be outcome oriented. We'll not link it to performance management rules. Um, and I remember one of the things, Jenny, you used to come into my programs and say quite often, don't be dogmatic about OKRs. This is your word. I remember this. You just keep on saying that. And at that time, I used to just ignore it and saying, to be a consultant, you've got to have rules. You've got to make a stand. And that's when you become a consultant. Um, but then in, within a few years and uh, with, ex- with implementations, especially Colgate, I think it was a fantastic experience for us. We realized that you can't have rules. You just can't have rules. You have promises, but not rules. And that's when you go back to those basics. The basics that we said, strategy to execution, transparency, collaboration, alignment, focus, outcome focus. These are promises and promises can't be rules. you got to find ways to get there. Now for Say, for example, this Thermos company or even one of the world's largest credit card companies that we're working with today, okay, on OKRs. We're working with them globally. We just started something with them. And we have noticed that most of their OKRs, for especially for one team, their liaison managers, this is like a group of lobbyists who work with governments. Now, they came to me and said, you know what? We can, uh, we understand sales, we understand collections, we understand credit. They all will have numbers, but we work on relationships. How do I create numbers for relationships? Because we lobby, we influence regulations. We come in and we help governments and we want to be close to them. How do we create a measure of success there? And my answer to them is, we do, you don't worry about outcomes there. You worry about effort. You're not worried about outcomes because this is where effort matters. And it comes back to a CEO of a loan company. And I was doing a training program and I was proudly saying out there, you know what? You need to have all your goals as outcomes. And then the CEO stands up and says, this is a CEO that has risen through the ranks. Okay. He start, he grew up by being a sales officer himself, selling loans. And he's today a CEO of a company. He raises and said, I disagree. He said, what matters to me is not the number of loans that this person is about to sell. Of course, it matters to him because it is an it is an outcome. But what I want to track first is I want to track how many houses has he visited? How many hours, how many hours has he spent with every customer? Okay, that's important because if I can get there, these leading output metrics, I know there's a nice fancy term to it. Yes, there is. (laughs) Are more important now than outcome metrics, especially for a growing organization like mine, because I don't want to, I don't want to force them saying, just focus on the outcome. I want to, I want them to focus on the out, on the outputs, on the leading metrics, because those leading metrics then tell me, what do I need to change? Where do I invest in more outcome metrics especially the lag outcome metrics are metrics that can only tell you quite late in the day whether you're done well or not and now I come back to the government example that the, the government relations team of this large credit card company that we're speaking about then we arrived we're arriving at not we're still, we're still on the discussion but it looks like the focus is going to be number of meetings that they're having with people with, with their uh, counterparts in the government's the number of proposals they're sending across, the number of connections that they're making, the number of times they get information first before anybody else, right? It's about goals like that matter more to these guys and say, oh, you know what? Let's put a goal. We'll sign X contracts this quarter. <laughs> so that's what matters. So hence, I'll, I'll repeat what Jenny Herald told me a long time ago. Don't be dogmatic about OKRs. All right. And part of it means that there will be times when you will write your goals as activities 
in our in my training program we call them milestone okrs or baselining okrs because you've got to start doing some activities first and before you get there then a few quarters down the line you'll probably mature in understanding that maybe you can put outcome metrics as well but give yourself the time don't don't pressurize yourself and say oh my god we're doing okrs and i got to put everything as outcome goals don't pressurize yourself get going if you got to write stuff like conduct three training programs this quarter to improve safety do it and then once you're there once you're there and you're conducting them you will realize oh you know what what's better than writing three training programs is writing stuff like number of people wearing hard hats in the construction site that's a better outcome and then eventually to number of incidents minimized as a result yeah all what all of that interesting so very much a pragmatic person but again at the same time i do challenge i when i'm coaching i say can we get to outcome first and tell me the outcome and tell me how does the outcome help you achieve the objective so the, it needs to the coaching needs to be geared in such a way so if they tell you an outcome then say okay if they say okay increase we want to get record sales this quarter and they say okay how do you measure this and we say okay we can measure this by the number of uh, customers in a pipeline okay and this okay that sounds like an outcome goal number of customers in your pipeline so how does that help you achieve record sales this quarter the answer is uh, well it gives us confidence so does confidence means record sales this quarter it could but not really what does give you record sales this quarter let's focus on that first then say okay what gives us record sales what tells us we're having record sales this quarter sales revenue conversion and then uh, and then among all of that would be somewhere your pipe right somewhere out there and then you would say okay now what's more important and you would say record sales is revenue is more important let's add weightages then and then somewhere down the line somebody might come up and say what also matters to us in record sales this quarter is that we want to make sure that we launch our products right okay then say okay that sounds like somebody else's okrs let's talk to them and then yeah and then you start to see where things blend together i'm wondering if then the the whole stretch target commit thing that we talked about earlier fits really nicely in this framework where let's say record sales this quarter is like the stretch definition and then the commit is what the team or that decides that they feel like 95% confident they can do could which could be like the calls situation and then there's something in a happy middle where it's like we have done so many calls and it generated this much lead so that were qualified in our pipeline that would indicate that we would achieve record sales so we can break them down just as in a thought experiment but i really do appreciate this idea that because i've been saying it forever yes outcomes that's what we want to get to but there might be some underlying things that are happening that need to be thought through that might be more output oriented that get you into the habit and the practice of even thinking this way, which is also valuable. I was trying to lose 20 kilos, which is a lot. And one of my key results was to walk 10,000 steps a day. That is very output oriented. But ultimately the goal is that I would be healthy like that. Yeah. Jenny Brings Sexy Back was the objective title. <laughs> Someone else said fit by 40 because that was my goal at 40 years old. But and great way this is a your example is a great way to really explain it to people that there are times when you will have to think of outcome lag there are times when you will have to probably prioritize a lead output related here and to come back to the stretch commit target piece there are times when only stretches is okay because stretch motivates you and commit doesn't because commit will say oh you know what i can do that by not doing anything as well yeah so why track waste of time go back to the colgate example there will still be a number one toothpaste company without doing anything different so if they are only on the commit goals then they can keep tracking at single digit growth but if they want to really 
be out there, be uh, not just be the number one brand, but be the number one most, have most loyal customers. Or they want to say, for example, they want to get into new territories. They want to get into, they want to get, be more innovative. They want to be seen as a more Gen Z brand. Stuff like that. They can't really focus on only doing what they've done. So this is where certain organizations, like the health tech company I'm working with, we don't have commit goals. We only have stretch goals. Yeah, okay, I'll only stretch. So it's because now the company is looking for a series, we're on the verge of a series A funding. So uh, we're, we're right up there. We can't push. We can't push. We've got all it takes. We got, and this is the time when we say what we got to get from the first gear directly up to the sixth gear. It's time. We're going to take a short break. You are listening to Dreams with Deadlines, the podcast that brings you real stories of trials and victories in business, brought to you by Quantive. Quantive is a strategy execution platform that helps organizations create greater strategic agility and excel at execution. With more than 2,000 customers, Quantive helps companies close the gap between strategy and execution to achieve their best possible. And now, back to the show. This goes back to the very genesis of this conversation, which I really appreciate for folks who are like, where are we going with this? It's, yes, you've got rules, learn the rules enough so that you can break them. But really the most important things, I think you called it promises. I would probably call them the philosophy, like the actual underlying philosophy of the practice, because that's ultimately what we want, right? Connecting strategy with execution being able to focus on something, all of these concepts in service of achieving what is your winning aspiration. And OKRs are a medium to be able to do that. But note that all of these examples were different. We had an example with Colgate where they have budgets and they lay OKRs on top. We have a startup or a scale up that's saying stretch only because we've got to get to series A. And that's pretty challenging because if you don't get the funding, you're out. And so you have to be more aggressive. So it makes sense in an environment to stretch only. So I think this is really great so that people can start to understand that the answers to how many OKRs should we have? Should we, and we're gonna to get to this, connect performance management with OKRs? How should we budget our OKRs? This is going to be defined by the organization in different ways, and that's okay, so long as you achieve the stated aims of what OKRs are supposed to do for your organization principally. To that end, and we're gonna wrap up here because I think this is important. A lot of people think cascaded goals, are you insane? No, don't do it, it gets really weird. Especially if you're talking about cascading these goals across multiple layers of an organization. By the time you get to like, I don't know, the fifth, sixth or seventh level from senior level, it's really obscure no cascading goals. But then there's some folks that are like, this is totally fine. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about cascaded goals? Can you share an example? Because I feel like you have one, Kenneth. Yeah, multiple. So I'll go back to one of the, the Indian companies, which is a promoter-driven company. And they've been successful so far because they have cascaded goals. Okay. The CEO comes in every year and says, these are the goals and this is what the goals I want everybody to do and focus on. And they have grown at the rate of 20% year on year. Get out. Do you, do you want to change that? <laughs> do you want to change a formula? <laughs> and the reason why he wants OKRs is because he's very clear. The reason I want OKRs is because so far I've been telling others what to do. Okay. I want now people, I want people to start owning and telling the other people what to do. I don't, I, I only want to tell my, my one line, one line down. I don't want to tell everybody what to do. It takes so much of my time and effort. It's time for me to retire. I want now my second in line to tell the next in line what to do. I want the same thing that I have done, but I want the second in line to do that. I don't want to do that for the second in line. I'll do it for the first in line. N plus one till N plus one, I will cascade. Then N plus one will cascade further and further. They don't want to change the formula. They only want to change who does it. And they want to do that using OKRs because the other thing is in the entire thing, what helps him and what helps everybody else is the transparency that OKRs provides. You can't hide. 
So that means the goals that you give others, everybody else will see. Everybody needs to work with each other. And it's for him, it's a double baby because in, 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 in all of this, you're also bringing alignment. You're bringing collaboration. You're making it a social process. I can take a break when I want to as a CEO and a founder of this company and just look at a dashboard and say things are working well and people are on track with all of it. So that's an example of OKRs being cascaded. I've also worked with strict cascades. Strict cascades is just like the CEO did it before. You do OKRs and they're strictly cascaded. Now, as coaches, we come in and bring in the fact and say, if you're going to strictly cascade OKRs, remember, you're also going to compromise on some of the promises. Are you okay with it? Mm. What are the trade-offs? Are you okay with them? Mm-hmm. Are you, are you, first trade-off is stretch. It's always going to be the first trade-off. Absolutely. The second trade-off, the second trade-off is going to be transparency because people are not going to be overtly transparent. No, because they don't, they're on the hook. Yeah, they're going to hide. Yeah, okay. And, and, and you can be transparent, but you'll be transparent when? Just before you're having your cadence review meeting, and then you will see suddenly everybody's updating their OKRs because the CEO has sent an email. So they're not doing it voluntarily. They're doing it forcibly. Mm, so mm, mm, you'll mm. see that. And then it's the compliance-driven. Mm-hmm. It's compliance-driven. It's okay. not already a compliance-driven approach. So you see that. So there are trade-offs and you tell, are you okay? And there are some CEOs are, who are okay with it. They says, yes, we are okay with it. Mm. We are okay with control. Then I've also worked with organizations where there's a mixed bag. It's like Colgate is an amazing example. Okay. Budgets will drive certain cascaded goals, right? Budgets mm. will drive certain cascaded goals like ESG, sustainability. Sure. Compliance, regulations, the stuff that you're putting into kids' mouths. You can't just say, make your own goal around it. Um, there'll be, <laughs> there are constraints. Yeah. There are rules. There are constraints, yes. right? Yes. So you, there'll be R&D related pieces. There'll be regulations that you're to live by. There'll be strict compliances. There'll be a making, checking, making, checking approach, not only to goals, but all the activities that come with it. So there's an understanding that there would be cascades in certain areas. But at the same time, the same R&D team, and there's, a, there's an amazing woman. If, if ever you want to get another lady um, uh, to talk about OKRs, her name is Edna Abundo. She's right now the head of R&D for, uh, for L'Oreal in the US. And she became a true champion. Nice. For OKRs. And this is an R&D team that works on experiments that cannot really drive outcomes. They drive activities, experimentations. Them doing OKRs as a way to get everybody and they used, what I liked about that team is they used the bottom-up method of OKRs, not the cascade. They used the bottom-up method to showcase to everybody on what they are doing. That's cool. And they, and they became an R&D team that was not waiting for the market to tell them what to do. For example, sales and marketing will come and say, hey, R&D, here's an opportunity. Do you want to do this? Yeah. They turned the boat around within a year of using OKRs in saying, we are R&D, we are going out to the market, and we will tell you what to do. It was an amazing shift because then the, suddenly the R&D team it became a team full of energy because they now started owning their experiments. Because they wanted to see if they would work. Versus being told, versus being told like what to experiment that. on. That's a really great. Look at all the different examples. Look at all the examples. If I were to tie this all together, because we're going to move on to performance management conversations, I think what we're saying here, what I'm hearing from you, Kenneth, which I love, is we need to make sure that our OKR programs serve the aims that we believe they should, rather than to serve the framework. The framework should work for us. Absolutely. And not the other way around, which is why we need to not be dogmatic. Sorry, go ahead. Absolutely. And probably a year later, you revisit why you took OKRs in the first place. And one of the organizations that we were in multiple organizations, I think three years after using OKRs, they dropped OKRs completely because it served its purpose. Served the purpose. They didn't want to now set goals quarterly uh, because they created the culture that they wanted. They created the leadership that they wanted. They created the rigor that they wanted. And they just defaulted back to their traditional MBO methodology of performance management. And it wasn't because OKRs weren't great. Like you said, they had an idea, they had a need, they fulfilled the need, and they moved on. 
We're going to get into a juicy topic now. I think this is like one of my favorite topics because it is feels like it's an enigma to most people. OKRs and performance management. Is it possible? And again, Kenneth, I think you have these wonderful stories and vignettes that we can listen to about how or how not that this would work. So first question, how can OKRs be integrated into performance management systems to drive employee engagement and productivity, which is what we think should happen? We spoke about this, Jenny. And if I go back to where I'm from, I come from a small coastal city of India. That's where my parents come from. But I used to go there to holiday or vacations. And it's a very agrarian community and agriculture. And we used to grow coconuts, right? And we used to hire workers to, to climb the coconut tree, pick the coconuts, take care of them. So there was an, an entire, you know, workforce that was set once every season to do their, their job. And I was thinking about it. Imagine you tell that team to say, you know what, we would like you to stretch. And if you stretch, okay, and these people who climb, they work in the hot sun, take coconuts, carry them along, and they're heavy, right? And thousands of coconuts. And you tell them, you know what, we want you to stretch, break more coconuts. We want you to be safe. We want you to build up brand, help us build a brand. And you do all of that and uh, we'll continue paying you what you're paying you for. for. It's not going to fly, right? And if you turn back to especially developing nations, right? let's magnify this a bit more, okay? And magnify upwards. Developing nations, India, Vietnam, Thailand, I'm taking the name of these countries because these are the countries that are adopting OKRs at a faster rate than anybody else. Turkey, Brazil, okay, Indonesia. These countries are largely agrarian countries. And they are also shifting from being agriculture-based to being industry-based. So today, Vietnam, Thailand, India, China, they're also manufacturing centers of the world for garments, for multiple stuff, oil, a lot of stuff that's there. And now these companies, these traditional companies that are there are coming to know of OKRs and they love it. Now, why do they love it? They love it because, of course, one of the things is it's a Silicon Valley thing. Anything that Silicon Valley does, we want to do because we want to be seen as progressive. We want to take that traditional tag out of us and we want to announce to the world that we're doing OKRs. And many of the CEOs read the book or they hear us and they come to know of this new thing called OKRs and they say, oh, transparent, oh, focus, oh, fast growth, oh, stretch. They hear these things and they say, let's do it. And then a consultant lands on them and says, do it, but don't do performance management. And they say, okay, how do we do that? Or the other way around, they call a consultant and says, we want to do OKRs, but we want to do it like performance management. And the consultant says, no, don't do it. So this is where we have burned fingers. We have been both those consultants. We have been both those consultants. And in my experience, in the last seven years of doing this, we have learned that there's a space for OKRs and performance management to coexist fantastically. And this is where I want to take some time and share something with you of what I call as the four systems that work. Now, this is something I usually share with my clients, but I'd love to now share it with everybody that's here. And then, of course, you can you can share this. It's a file that I'm going to share, but I'm going to speak from it and explain the four methodologies. So there are four systems in which OKRs and performance management work. The first system is a no-brainer. It's a pure system. It's a pure OKR system. I call it a single system. In this system, there is no other performance management system, but there's only OKRs. This works for organizations that have exponential goals. There's a clear radical focus, mostly startups or probably some scale-ups, where what you're looking for is rapid innovation. You're looking for people who are inspired and you're looking for entrepreneurial thinking to come within the ranks of the organization and this clear outcome focus. There is no space for business as usual in an organization like this. There's, if there's space for it, then it's almost, oh, you got to do it. You got to do it. And that's what it is. And there's no space for rewards as well, because the reward is the growth of the company. If the company grows, you grow, you probably get ESOPs later on in the future. So no PMS, 
just OKRs. That's the first system. So a lot of startups come to us with this. The second is a dual system where OKRs exist and performance management exists, but they run at arm's length. Now, the way they run at arm's length, the reason why they are run at arm's length is because these are the kind of organizations that are betting on two things. One, to exploit their current product, employee base, capital assets. They want to exploit it. So do more of what they've got. And they also have set their sights on explore, like stuff like digital transformation, new territories, new products, new segments. So for the exploit piece, they will say we will, for every employee, there'll be performance management and we're going to continue doing that. For the explore piece, we want a few people to show up or some people to show up and we want OKRs because that's about ambition. That's about aspiration. Now, in this, you take a very conscious stand in saying these are going to be two separate ones. Why? Because we want people who show up here for OKRs to not worry about the link to performance management. So if they fail, don't worry about it. That's going to continue doing what it, what's going to happen. Of course, you've got to be a bit careful in managing this entire piece because it can create a lot of exhaustion in the system because you have two things running together. But it works. And most many of the organizations that we work with, for example, Colgate, they ran with this. There was current PMS and there was OKRs. There was exhaustion in the beginning, but then after that, it started settling in and people started recognizing that these can be two unique systems running by themselves. The third is the hybrid system. Now, the hybrid system is where OKRs feeds into performance management. You have people who say, you can say, your performance management is going to be 25% OKRs, 25% business as usual, 20% uh, values and 25% competencies. So you break in a kind of a formula and you make that formula work for you. So it, it's a great system, works to, towards creating accountability. It unifies the entire thing and, and it works in such a way, but also gives a space for people. In this kind of a system, you've got to be honest in telling people stuff like psychological safety, innovation safety. You, got, you need to have a coaching culture. Your managers need to be able to differentiate OKR work versus your business as usual work and how it impacts ratings and stuff like that. And the last method is where OKRs replaces your performance management as performance management itself. That's your OKRs as a PMS system. So it becomes a continuous performance management system like MBOs, like management objectives. Now, in this case, you've got to be honest with the fact that now in this case, it's going to be tightly controlled. They're going to be cascades. It's going to be a single system. You're driving for accountability and performance. And you may need to have, and I've spoken about this before, there could be trade-offs on stuff like stretch. There could be trade-offs on transparency. You could probably encourage more siloed performance than collaborative performance in systems like this. But again, OKRs is PMS. Now, the traditional organizations that we work with go into either the hybrid system or they go into OKRs as a PMS system. Because for them, it's not a matter of stretch. For them, what's a matter of is making transparency, focus, alignment. These are the important ones. And they want compliance and control is more important than say, innovation. Okay, there's a trade-off. There's a clear trade-off there. I, th I think this is really helpful framing for our listeners. Thank you for walking us through that. And if folks out there are wondering, is this real? Is this actually happening? Clearly, Kenneth has examples. And we also did the Global State of OKRs report for 2023, which you're very familiar with as well. And 56% of the respondents, largest kind of survey of its kind that we know of so far, 56% of our respondents managers and leaders using OKRs said that OKRs were inputs or in some way related to their performance evaluations. So then if that's the case, the question that we should be asking ourselves, which Kenneth, I think that you're helping prompt all of your clients is like, where do you fall on the spectrum? And then really making deliberate decisions about what is the impact of that? To your point, if you use a system where arms length apart, it's going to be a few cycles of work because you're trying to establish a new process in parallel to an existing one of your performance management system. In the hybrid scenario, you're going to have to train up your management layers 
to have these conversations with their direct reports because now they're inputs into that and they need to coach them through it on how to achieve these goals and to hopefully provide the resources they need to be successful. So there are going to be different conversations and different attributes of the business to develop, I would say, the required capabilities to make it work. But clearly, I think the example that you provided showcase that it can be done. The question is how, right? And there's so many other small nitty-gritties in this. For example, when we're doing a hybrid system of OKRs and a person comes up and says, I've looked at the strategic OKRs. I'm a person in payroll. Okay, I'm a payroll executive. I have nothing to do with the strategic OKRs. I just have to do my BAU. So that means, am I going to lose out on the fact that I don't have OKRs? And they don't link up to the strategy. And this you got to say, okay, you know what? There's an exception. If there are two ways we can go about doing it. A, don't write OKRs. B, write OKRs and make them your own. Think of what you want to do. Yeah, it can be personal growth or it could be the fact that you want to minimize grievances in payroll or you want to simplify the basis. It could be stuff that you want to do. You're not asking for funds for it, but because you're funding the strategic OKRs, but you're going to do it. You're going to find an innovative way to do it and we'll award you for that. Now, a person might say, yeah, I can do that without OKRs as well. Can't I? It's called continuous improvement. So I can do that. Kind of say, yeah, you can. It's just then filling up a syntax. So it's okay. And that's an important point. Not everybody in an organization needs to have OKRs. This is true. This is true. Although I think both of you and I are obvious big fans of the methodology because we're spending our lives working with them. But I would agree with you. I think we'll tie off this section too and then get into our quick fire in a second. We didn't touch on this, I think. We've talked about the challenges or the trade-offs we would need to consider if we were to imagine OKRs somehow related in the various ways to a PMS or performance management system. What are the potential benefits, if we can be very explicit about the benefits of combining OKRs with performance management? Because you have organizations that you mentioned that are they have 250-year histories they're making deliberate decisions that this either replaces or complements their existing PMS. Why are they doing this? What benefits are they seeing as a result of that? Yeah, and this comes back to the early exploratory questions that we have with the clients, like what's the challenge with your current performance management system? And one of the common ones that we hear is stuff like, oh, you know what, it's, it's too late in the day for people to improve their performance. They're not getting feedback on time. Conversations are not happening. Tracking is not happening. There's more siloed performance than there is collaborative performance. This is stuff that we hear. Then you say, okay, then if you want to have OKRs as performance management, then here are some things that we need to code in. If you're going to say that OKRs as performance management is going to help you increase collaboration, then you are in for a surprise. It could be old wine in a new bottle. So what you need to code in is you need to code in certain behavioral components like collaboration, successful collaboration for every person. And you're saying this is going to be a competency that has high weightage in your performance management. So it's about incentivizing the right behaviors and the actions from the, from your staff. And so you have to be very thoughtful about what kinds of behaviors or habits do we want to incentivize? And once you think about that, then to your point, that's the linkage, right? If you're siloed behavior, but you want to break down the silos, then in your performance management system, you're having your managers talk with the direct reports. To what degree are you collaborating with other people on their succeeding with your OKRs? What are you learning with them? How are you going to take these learnings forward with the, the team? Whatever. And then you blend the two worlds. Is that right? Absolutely. I'll give you another example. There was a senior leader in the organization who was sandbagging their OKRs because it was linked to performance management. We all know what sandbagging is, right? Sandbagging is setting your goal lower, but letting the world know, yeah, I got 100% at the end of the quarter. (laughs) It's as simple as that. And there was a leader who was constantly doing that. And then what we did is we changed the code on the OKRs. We said leadership for the leadership team, OKRs will constitute 80% of their performance management. 80%. 
for and it decreases in as you go in the hierarchy of an organization it decreases that percentage the reason we call that out is because okrs are supposed to be transformative stretch goals for that company and this person was constantly bringing bau as okrs so we did yeah and it changed so suddenly now everybody said okay you can't put baus as okrs anymore because that's sandbagging and you got to bring in those transformative goals those and it encouraged leaders to be more strategic rather than operational because the percentage of their bonuses or whatever their schema was would be tied to them and okrs are strategic okrs are not operational clear clear benefit in that particular piece so coming back to the benefit piece i think the first benefit of linking okrs to performance management um the figure to take a step back the first thing you try not to do it okay you try not to link okrs to performance management and if it still requires to link it then here are the benefits the first benefit is you get control clearly okay so if the organization is looking for control and accountability they say accountability but honestly what they're looking for is control okay you have the two of them happening out there the other benefit is when okrs are linked to performance management it makes it's a is a thing where try playing a game without a scoreboard and nothing will happen you'll just probably funnel fizzle out in some time but it creates a kind of competition and it's a psychological edge for a lot of those people who thrive in a situation like this to keep on performing because they see their number up in a transparent scoreboard and it pushes the entire organization to up the game a bit so that's another benefit that you get out of okrs and performance management it's a transparent scoreboard where everybody's performance is seen okay not at the end of the year but on a regular basis it's almost like weekly because we say we review it quarterly but the data is available to you just in time it's right there so you can see how you're doing and you can constantly challenge yourself you can challenge others so it increases collaboration you can call out support and need when need be and this is one of the reasons that many you have a lot of consultants including me who say when you're starting off with okrs and performance management together start with a few okrs right don't try to put everything in it together because then it's going to make life very difficult yeah so that's some of the benefits that you get out of it as well and then i think the other thing that you got to be also watchful for is if you're going to use the bell curve to do your final compensation we have a lot of companies who are switching from the bell curve to the nine box which is a better methodology for them to look at it because then you are not force ranking because then the next year what's going to happen is i tried my best i really stretched but you still marked me in the in the middle of the bell curve as a 3 so next year i'm not going to do all of that lots of considerations here thank you for just breaking it down for us and providing examples i think this has been really helpful hopefully for our listeners definitely helped me today Kenneth, we're going to go into quick fire. You ready? Really quick fire. Here we go. Let's do this. I've always wanted to ask you this question. What is your dream with a deadline? All right. If the when a person tells me dreams and deadlines, the first word that comes to my mind is legacy. And I think it's the deadline is by the time I'm finished. By the time I'm finished, I would have seen myself impacting at least a million lives positively. And after I'm finished, another million so that means my legacy impacts a million more so that's something that you could probably count and say that's something i would like to do another short term goal that i have and it's something that just came about a month ago for me uh, the thought process is a very tangible goal i would say one of the companies that i've invested in it becomes a 5 million dollar bootstrapped company by 2026 it's a small it's one of the small companies that i i want to work with there are three of them one of them to hit 5 million dollars in 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 revenue and bootstrapped completely yeah uh, when i say boot i'm an investor because i'm one of those founders of that company so yeah that's my dream with a deadline i love that you have two and one that's near and then one's long term that's really cool okay you have seen a lot of okr implementations you've been a part of them when things start to go sideways they're failing what would be advice that you give to turn things around All right. I think the first thing is it's always a learning journey. You don't beat yourself down on the fact that you have failed. I've I've had OKR implementations that have not worked. 
some because of the company itself some because if you look in hindsight you say oh you know what we could have done things differently but we didn't you take that as learning and i think that's what okrs is all about the fact that you're always learning with every single okr implementation and don't be too hard on yourself because at the end of the day for me as a consultant i'm a consultant and i'm a coach if i'm given the reins of the business i probably would would make the same mistakes again even if i had control of that business i would have made the same mistake again just learn from it and keep on moving ahead you have name dropped a few senior leaders you've worked with senior leadership team ceos what do you believe the role of the c level or the ceo even is in the okr program half conviction half hope i think that's one of the first things that i see in leaders they're convinced about okrs but there's also this hope that they have and it convinces because they've done the research they've done all of it but there's also hope that says you know what it will bring me something that i don't know but i know it's going to be positive so that's one of the things the second thing is they show up at the workplace and not just delegated to say hr or delegated to the chief of staff they show up with okrs on top of everything that they do so i see this as as a very positive thing and they they, they also know that okrs is not the end it's a means to the end it's like uh, when they hire us they know that we are just part of the larger puzzle that they are that working on and um, we or say for example they bring in softwares we're just a part of this entire thing and they're able to they're able to tie in and stitch in a, a possibility of a future whether it's a transformed organization whether it's a more successful organization whether it is the best place to work in whatever they have as a dream or maybe their own personal dreams for example for them to elevate themselves at a much more high level they're able to see that we are just parts of that large puzzle that they're putting together and as a consultant coach i see leaders who can do that this they're not doing this as only the end but a means to an end that they're looking for what would you say is the single most impactful lesson or insight you've gained from your experience with okrs and performance management within an organization Okay, the single more wow there's so many to choose from your journey. Just one. Just like the most impactful. I think the most impactful things about OKRs is that OKRs are actually very simple. They're very simple if you go back to the promises. I think when people say that they are complicated, they're deceivingly simple, I think ignore all of that. Just ignore all of that because that is noise. OKRs are simple. There's an O, there are KRs. The Os contain your dreams and your ambitions. Okay? The KRs contain your measurability towards the dreams and ambitions. The moment you put that on paper, it changes you. It gives you that kind of focus that you're looking for. Now you might argue that even a smart SMART or a balanced scorecard can do all that. But I think the beauty about the Os and the KRs is that they are much more holistic. they require a little bit more thinking and defining and that simplicity is very attractive so when i am thinking of doing something new i just think of it in terms of an what's the o for the krs and if they all make sense to me and it can move me it, the moment i write them then i know i've got I, i'm on to something so this is what i like to look into the people that i'm coaching with writing okrs i look for shining eyes I look for when the moment they write their okay they say this is it this is what i want and what would that impactful lesson number 1 thing be for your experience with okrs and working with clients on performance management systems specifically because we spent quite a bit of time talking about that today yeah i think the first lesson has always been the i think the most important one don't rush into integrating them first do the pilot of an okr in a team or a level for a couple of quarters see the effort that will probably take to code your okrs into performance management usually we tell the company that you can tell your people when you announcing okr saying that we're doing this as an experiment and we are looking we're hoping of bringing it aligning it with performance management or replacing performance management we ask them to choose their words very carefully 
it's you can you can help companies communicate the larger intent and why do companies do okrs ultimately it's because they want to improve performance it's not just because it's a fad so when you want to improve performance you also want to make sure you are measuring it and you're also rewarding people along the way so you would eventually it would eventually impact performance management and it would eventually impact compensation whether john doer likes it or not it's going to happen so be ready for it last question what would you say is the single book that largely shaped how you think kenneth single book that largely shaped how i think okay so i'm looking at my bookshelf right now what which is the book that that really shaped but it's i think it's going to be an easy one it's going to be atlas shrugged by ayn rand it is it's a book i i know it's a dystopian piece even fountainhead by ayn rand anything by ayn rand has shaped it because it is objectivism and it is about that we as human beings are much more capable than what we think we are, we can there's more there is reason is more absolute than anything else and if you can reason out things you can find solutions to a lot of problems and i think that's me i've i'm both of a right brain and a left brain person but i like to move to reason i'm very passionate but i like to look more for reason in that passion than anything that i have and i think that's the book that has defined me because you want to think of yourself more than what you are you think of what you could be and that's what ayn rand teaches me what a fantastic way to wrap up the episode thank you so much for being on the show today kenneth it's been an absolute pleasure <laughs> thank you so much jenny thank you If you enjoyed this podcast, then we invite you to join the Dreams with Deadlines community. Dreams with Deadlines is a global network of ambitious business leaders and innovators who are passionate about using OKRs and agile practices to build high-performing cultures, achieve bold goals, and influence our world for the better. Learn more and join us at dwd.community.